So last week as we celebrated Pentecost, we looked at how God meets us where we are, is for all people, and God's presence shifted from where it had been believed that God only resided in places, that God comes to reside within people and on people. And we looked at how this was a weird thing, but how we are called to be weird. As we go and share God's love and grace and mercy with all and as we looked last week, we briefly addressed the, Peter's sermon, which led 3,000 people to give their lives to God and was essentially the beginning of the church as we know it. And today I want to take a deeper look at that sermon as we hear these words from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, where we hear this Fellow Israelites, Listen to what I say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He's saying God sent Jesus Christ to share and show who God is. But he goes on, he says, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. I love that David does, or uh, Peter rather, doesn't really mince words. There's no lead in with a joke or a story. He goes, hey, guess what? Jesus, yeah, yeah, you killed him. You killed him, but God raised him. He goes on in verse 25, he says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David. Now you may be wondering why he's talking about David, and I I want to remind you that this is during the festival of Pentecost, or Shavuot, or festival of weeks, whatever term uh, your scripture may define it as, but it's all the same festival, and at this time they're they're coming with a hope of a new Messiah, and, and they're acknowledging Moses and David for the freedom in which they gave these people, but they're hoping for the Messiah that would come and free them once and for all. And so David is right there at the, the center of their mind. He's a, he's a key figure within this festival. And Peter is connecting what they have known to where they are going. Because as he talks about David, and he talks about that David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, He knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He is not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. And so what he's saying is, while David was good, 
David is not the king that we were looking for. He says, but this Jesus, in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. He says, oh, you saw the resurrection. David proclaimed that the Messiah would be resurrected, and you all know that Jesus was resurrected because you were there. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And, and Peter kind of wraps up his sermon with this closing of, Let it be known that Jesus is the Messiah that was to come, but y'all killed him. He doubles down on it. It says in verse 37, but, um, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children. And for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed this message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 were added. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Peter comes in, guns blazing, saying, and connecting King David to King Jesus. He, he said, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He is the King and the Messiah. There's no need to wait any longer. And he points out that Christ was sent by God, but we killed him. We, we killed him. And then he goes on in verse 29 and says, But when David died, he stayed dead. But you know what? Jesus rose. And you know this. And so addressing this, what Peter is saying is that Jesus is the new king. David was known for his military leadership and for being a strong political figure and how, how good he was at killing people. They, they even wrote songs about how good he was at killing people. They were expecting another David. So, so Jesus was not what they were looking for. This is not what they expected. Instead of a powerful leader, they got a humble servant. Instead of, a, of someone to crush their enemies, they got someone who says, forgive your enemies. Instead of someone who is just for Israel, they got someone who is for all people. Instead of someone who takes life, they get someone who will lay down his life. This is not the king they were looking for or expected. And Peter says, the Messiah has come and died and been resurrected, but you missed it because you didn't think it was him. He didn't look how you expected him to look. He didn't act as you thought he should. Peter says that the only that not only is Jesus the new king, but he did a new thing. Don't miss it. And how often do we miss our miracles and God at work because because it doesn't look 
how we think it should. It doesn't present in a manner that we think is right. It doesn't happen just how we drew it up. How often do we try to box God in that if it doesn't look like this, present like this, appear in this manner, it's not of God. But last week, as we heard, God is out of bounds. God is not bound by our rules or limited by our limitations. God is the creator. We are the creation. So not only is Jesus the new king, but he is doing a new thing as evidence through the resurrection. That's something that had never been done before. And, and while David may have been king of Israel and, and conquered with death, Jesus comes to be king of the world and to conquer death. And the resurrected king comes to resurrect the world. And this was and is what it's all about. Peter is warning us not to focus on, simply on rules and regulations, but to focus on resurrection and renewal. And we do this through what he tells them after the sermon, repentance and redemption. This is how we participate in the resurrecting work of God. Now first, let's look at repentance. Too often when we hear this idea of repentance, we focus predominantly uh, on shame and guilt. We should feel guilty for what we did. We should feel shame, and so we need to confess it. Repentance isn't about shaming you into loving God. It's about surrendering to a loving God. And we, we hear this in Romans 2.4. It tells us that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not God's guilt. Not God's shame. Not God's anger or wrath. We, we don't need, repent so that God will love us. But we repent because God loves you. And somebody may need to hear that today. God loves you. But even before you repent, God loves you. Repentance is acknowledging where you've fallen short. It's recognizing your own limitations and recognizing your sin. And it's an invitation to come to the end of ourselves and to trust in the God that loves us. So when Peter said repent, it wasn't to shame them, but to invite them to come to know God. To release all that, kept, that keeps them and us from the heart of God. So that we can accept what God had and has and what God is doing. It's that idea of you have to be released. You have to release so that you can encounter something new. I think I've shared this before, but there's this thing that I read about. It's called a South Indian monkey trap. And what they would do is they'd get a jar and they'd put something that the monkey desired in the bottom of it. And the monkey would reach in and grasp that thing. And as he did... The fist could not come back out of the opening, and so the monkey was trapped there. All he had to do was release that which he was holding on to, but because he would refuse to do so, the monkey was trapped. And for many of us, this is where we find ourselves, and this is why we are called to repent. But when we only hear the call to repent, we're only getting half of the story. We're, we're, we're missing the other half. We're, we're being called out of something, but we're also being called into something new. Because that's where redemption comes into place. We need both. We're being called out of sin and in to what God is doing. Repentance is leaving the broken world, whereas redemption is an invitation to join God in the building of a new and better one. 
Repentance without redemption produces a faith that becomes focused on what you are against, but not what you are for. It says, I can't do this, I don't do that, we don't stand for this, we don't stand for that. But we need to focus also on what we are for, because repentance without redemption becomes behavior management. It's always about what you don't do and never about what you do. It's about leaving this world when you die, but it's not about what you're doing to build a better world while you're here. It doesn't create a bigger world, but a smaller one. And Jesus didn't come and die on the cross for you simply to have good behavior. He's not worried about your actions because Jesus, God's primary goal, his primary focus is you. Now, he is worried about how you act because he's worried about you. Your behavior is not Jesus' first priority. You are. In Luke 23, verses 34 through 43, where we hear about Jesus on the cross and the criminal on the cross asking him, Remember me in your kingdom. Jesus doesn't look at him and go, I don't know, you're a criminal. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. But instead he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have to get off, the, the criminal didn't have to get off the cross and prove himself because Jesus' priority, number one, is the person. He desires relationship with you. But we must have both, repentance and redemption. As we heard how just repentance falls short of the story, redemption without repentance leads us to stagnation. Because God can't resurrect the truest vision of self if we don't release the untrue one. God can't revive the fullest version of life until you give up the things that drain you of life. God can't revive your vision of the world until you release your hate, judgment, anger, and resentment. And when you try to hold both of them, the old and the new, we find ourselves stuck. We're like the monkey caught in the monkey trap. We don't want to let go of the past, but we want to move forward to something new. And God is calling us into this something new, but he says, first, you've got to let go of the old. And to accept this, we must repent and let go of the broken, crooked version of ourselves and lives and the world in which we live and redeem the power of the Holy Spirit the gift of Pentecost, so that we can reclaim a resurrected vision of self and the li- of our lives and of the world. The, the sermon that we just heard is the sermon that 3,000 people said yes to. That helped to birth the unstoppable movement known as the Christian church. But notice that their central argument wasn't about doctrine or polity but it is to repent and be redeemed. To believe that Christ was resurrected and is resurrecting. And we're being invited into this new thing through repentance and redemption. What if we as the church proclaimed and preached, let go of what's holding you back and seek the resurrected Christ to resurrect your life? And as you are redeemed through the power of the Holy Spirit, go forth seeking to set others free that they may be redeemed. What if we went forth simply proclaiming Christ is King and ruler of our lives and He's doing a new thing in and through us. 
And we would love for you to come and be a part of it. Amen. Amen.